On this podcast, we're joined by Professor Tim Boson. Tim is a professor of anthropology, and um, we're going to talk about the nature of evil, aren't we, Tim? Good morning, Nick. Yes, and uh, yes, quite a tricky subject to talk about. And I gave a talk at the cathedral on the nature of evil, and someone said to me, is this a very appropriate subject for the cathedral? Um, <laughs> and I said, actually, yes, it is, because I'm a as you mentioned, an anthropologist. And anthropologists are very interested in human behavior. And of course, the extremes of human behavior are uh, of great fascination. So evil, we can see as an extreme piece of behavior. On the other hand, theologians are also very interested in evil. And the reason they're interested in evil, uh, and Christian theologians are interested in evil, is because, of course, it's the behavior of God. And, and I'll come on to that a bit later, but it's about how can an almighty powerful, benevolent, loving God inflict evil on human beings? And it's that's a, quite a tricky question. It goes under the title uh, of theodicy, the justice of God. But theologians have thought about this, argued about it. Um, it's been a big contentious issue within the Christian church. Yes. Now, we should say that we are in this podcast going to tackle some difficult and perhaps for some people disturbing topics. So if you are worried about that, we will flag them up uh, beforehand. But um, do just listen out for that if if you might find some of the content disturbing. Now, Tim, um, how would you define evil? That's a, a, an interesting question. Let's Let's start by saying, essentially, there are two types of evil. There's the evil that's inflicted on human beings. And if we think about that, that's often a natural disaster. It could be uh, a flood, an earthquake, a tsunami, forest fires even, um, famine, drought, hurricanes, and then, of course, disease. And this is very topical because we've got a mm. pandemic now of coronavirus. Who is responsible for that? That's been inflicted upon human beings. And I'll come back to sort of looking at the causes so that's one type of evil, the natural evil. And interestingly enough, a, a Church of England vicar actually described the coronavirus, COVID-19, as a profound evil. So there's still that thought that evils can be inflicted on us. Now, the other sort of evil is the evil we human beings do to each other. And that, as you quite rightly warned the, the audience, some of that is, is really quite awful. And we'll, we'll talk about that. So there's those two types of evil. But in terms of the definition, we go back to that definition, it, uh, it arose really, the idea of evil arose in the 16th century. Prior to that, you've got the word evil, right? And that word uh, seems to have come from German. Uh, the Old English is Eiffel, and the German, we might relate with that, it's not absolutely certain, but we might relate to that, is uber, over the top. So it's an excess of something. Mm -hmm. And okay. before the 16th century, it was just another word for bad. But when we had all the religious wars and confrontations in the 16th century, clerics started using it to describe the other side. You know, you this disobedience of the church that is evil behaviour. Right. So, so there's so looking at the at the, at the two types. Um, Let's let's start with the slightly more difficult uh, subject of of evil perpetrated by humans, uh, whether that's a war or on other you know individual humans. 
why does it occur? Why does why does human evil occur? What is it about us that seems impo- it, it, you know, it seems impossible for us to avoid inflicting um, evil on others? Right. Well, let me start with just giving you a few examples so people know what we're talking about. Okay. One of the awful things we know about, say, for example, is genocide. We know in the Second World War, the Nazi party inflicted genocide on the Jewish population. We can go back, of course, much earlier. And, uh, for example, a genocide that's not recognized entirely by the country that did it, the Armenian genocide. Back in 1916, a hundred and, well, no, the figures are disputable, but the Armenians would say 1.5 million Armenians were killed or taken out into the desert to die by the Ottoman government. And even today, the Turkish government will not accept that this was genocide. So that's one sort of type of thing. Then some of your listeners will remember in 2011, the Norwegian Anders Bering Brevik slaughtered Mm. 77 people in Oslo and on an island, many of them just teenagers. what, What was going on there? And then, of course, today, I'm afraid we've got uh, the war in Syria. Dozens of Syrians, we know, uh, have choked to death, probably from a chemical attack. So is the Assad regime that is inflicting this on his own people, is that a horrible act of evil? So there's those sort of evils. uh, And if you like, that's a group evil. And then we'll come on later to the individual. Let me deal with a group evil. There is a thing in anthropology. People are surprised by this, but we've talked about it before, and I've mentioned it before in terms of we are great apes, we have cousins, uh, the orangutan, the gorillas, and in particular, of course, the chimpanzees. And the study of those uh, great apes, particularly the chimpanzees, show that they're very tribal, very vicious, very violent. And there's no doubt that in our earlier days as Homo sapiens, we were all of those things, and some of that still carries over. So how is it that a human being can inflict that on another human being? Well, what actually seems to be happening is that they are reclassified. The people doing the inflicting, the torture, the death, whatever, reclassify the victim as non-human. They are the other. And therefore, you can perpetrate on them because of your ideological stance. It might be your right wing, uh, like Brevik, near the Nazi party. You can inflict it on the others because... You are doing a social good by wiping those awful people out. And I've no mm-hmm. doubt, again, in Syria that the Assad regime justifies its actions because these people ideologically and probably theologically, because they belong to a different Islamic sect, are they are, in a sense, legitimate victims of your uh, behavior. Because you've sort of dehumanized them, is that what you would say, yeah, you no longer it. regard them as human beings like you. That, that's right. We seem to be capable of doing that. And of course, we create all sorts of propaganda, which enables us then to see them themselves as, as evil. And we are eradicating evil. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, for example, British propaganda in the First World War. When Belgium was invaded by the Germans, the newspapers went wild. Babies were being bayoneted or even eaten by German soldiers. Absolute nonsense, of course. But to mm. rouse the anger, to enable people then to react in a, as killers, to kill the Germans. Right, because because you're dehumanising those people and saying that these are clearly not human. Therefore, 
anything's fair game almost. Yes, yes. Mm. But then if we move on to the more individual, then it becomes, and this is where, it, it, as you rightly warned the audience, it does become a bit shocking. If we think about evil, what is the worst category of evil we can think of uh, as a spectrum within evil? And I guess we would say that's child killers. Yes, and, and this, is, this is, we should flag, this is a very difficult area and we are going to discuss this. So if you want to skip this piece, that's fine. But um, I think we should discuss it. Um, it is just for most of us, I hope, uh, incomprehensible, isn't it? How do we comprehend that kind of thing? It's, it's tricky because in some senses it also gets uh, sensationalised. But if you think about children being tortured or killed, this is... Uh, so contrary to all of our human instincts, our human instinct is to protect and nurture and care for children who are innocent and, and, and need our, our loving care. So for them, something to be carried out against them that is vicious, violent, uh, is, is, is terrible. I remember watching a version of uh, The Silent Witness, a popular BBC programme. Remember, it's about pathologists. Mm. And uh, the pathologists go a bit beyond their normal brief of just studying the dead body. They, they often solve the crime and deal with it. Uh, one of the popular characters is someone called Dr. Nikki Alexander, played by the actress Amelia Fox. And in one of the episodes I watched, and it was written by someone called Tim Prager, uh, there is a child that is killed and raped. Um, and I'm afraid it's in that order. And... Uh, Nikki Alexander has this line, it is so evil, it is like an infectious disease, there is no cure for it. Now, that brings together this idea we were talking earlier, I talked about coronavirus as being a profound evil. Uh, it's like it's something that nature has inflicted, and we'll come on to that sort of nature-nurture argument. Is evil there within human beings something that is inherited, it's a, within the genes, it's a natural thing, rather than something that's inculcated by culture? Now, the two cases that come to mind, which really shocked the country, was, of course, back in 1993, a two-year-old, James Bulger, wrongly called by the press, by the way, Jamie Bulger, James Bulger was abducted from a shopping centre in Kirby near Liverpool, taken to a railway line and tortured and beaten to death by two 10-year-old boys, John Venables and Robert Thompson. Absolutely mm -hmm. awful. One of the detectives interviewing uh, the, the, these boys uh, said quite to the press, quite wrongly, in fact, before the trial, um, this boy knew he was evil. Like he, you know, the child already had a concept, a 10-year-old, of knowing that he was evil. Um, very, very tricky, that, indeed. And the other case, which is about adults inflicting evil, was back in... Um, 2007, you may remember the Baby P case. Uh, Peter Connolly was a 17-month-year-old toddler who was so physically abused that uh, when he died, they discovered 50 injuries that had been inflicted upon him by his mother, mm -hmm. Tracy Connolly, and her boyfriend and his brother, um, Stephen Barker and Jason Owen. Uh, An awful case. And you just think it's incomprehensible. Now, the tabloid press at that time went to town, as you can imagine, and Tom Wells, who was writing then uh, for The Sun, 
labelled Tracy Connolly on the headline as an evil mum. And I was struck by this because here you again got this uh, juxtaposition of evil with mum. Yes. And mum yes. we think of as loving and caring and so on and protecting, and then an evil mum. So very two terribly shocking cases which um, made the nation think about what is evil. Um, the reporter in the mirror, someone called Sue Carroll, wrote at the time of the trial that she thought, you know, people like me, social anthropologists, criminologists, we will spend years trying to sort out why this has happened, um, why these monsters, as she called them, kill innocent children, whereas she believed it's actually inherent evil. It's predetermined. It's a gene killer. And we shouldn't waste our time trying to understand it. We just recognize that occasionally humanity tragically throws up these awful, awful people who are incurable. Um, so but, does, do, do you subscribe to that view that, that, that there is very little that could, be do- could have been done or could be done in cases like that? No, I, I don't subscribe to that position. And uh, I can understand where it comes from. And certainly, you know, we, our view about what we inherit now has changed enormously uh, since our understanding of DNA and the human genome. And we recognize that there are genes that give us, uh, if you like, a predisposition to something. We know that particularly with illnesses, with diseases, we can predict by looking at someone's genome what uh, illness they might have inherited through their parents or their grandparents or so on. Um, But uh, I think most scientists would say now a predisposition does not mean it's going to happen. And it's often environmental factors that cause these difficulties it's very it's very interesting in terms of um, now how people perceive that for for example the idea that uh, there may be some uh, genetic uh, uh, malady or fault that would then turn you into a killer would not be accepted but at the same time i think as i say most scientists wouldn't say there's that sort of biological determination but there can be a combination of elements and particularly environment, we know now, for example, that people who inflict violence on other people have generally had violence inflicted on them. It's a pattern. Yeah, and in, in, in some way it becomes something that is somewhat normal yes. to them, when, I guess. When, when you looked into Venables and Thompson's background, uh, they had suffered uh, a huge amount of parental abuse. There was no doubt about it. Uh, so mm. the, you know, the, the norms of behaviour, I mean, there's a big argument, and I'm sure this has been put to you before, Nick, about if you watch something violent and awful on television, does that encourage you to go out and do it yourself? You know, is there a knock-on effect? And we know that, uh, uh, you know, a lot of violence is on television. It's it's part of the human makeup, and people uh, are drawn to it. And I'll come back to this later on, but people are drawn to that, uh, sensationalise it, and it becomes a, a sort of feature of the time. But is there evidence that having watched a video then then go out and kill? Well, there is some evidence of, uh, of teenage killers uh, shooting people in America who have deliberately watched violent videos. So there may be something in that. But overall, the average person watching a, a violent program on television is not then wanting to go out and, re- and repeat that violence. Why are we drawn to those kind of violence uh, episodes on television and so on. What is it that draws us to them? Well, this is uh, this will take us into this, the the psychology area, the psychological 
aspect of it. And I think this is a very fascinating area. And of course, people are puzzled to try and explain uh, the violence that we find within human beings. If you think of it theologically, uh, the theologians were concerned, and I mentioned this at the beginning, you know, why a benevolent, loving God, uh, who has all power, allows evil into the world? Uh, hmm. Surely God can't be evil. So it, the, the theologians came to the view, and it started with people like St. Augustine of Hippo, not our St. Augustine of Canterbury, but the one of North Africa, who said it's original sin. Now, Adam and Eve sinned. And they've passed that gene down because he didn't use the word gene because they didn't about genes at that time. Yeah. He thought it was inherited, and that was the basis of original sin, that we were all born sinful, and therefore we carried that, uh, that evil within us. Um, now, of course, with modern science and things have moved on, we come to more, uh, more the, uh, the psychiatrists and the psychoanalysts, and I guess you could start with Freud here, uh, who were thinking about why we have these behavioural patterns and why can we commit it? And he thought, well, because in a way he was the pioneer in uncovering it, it was the unconscious. So he made a distinction between the moral self, the conscious self, which says, no, I've got to behave this way, and the evil self, which was in the unconscious, which drove people to behave in a violent and vicious way. So where's that taking us? Well, his colleague and um, pupil at one stage, who then broke away from him, Carl Jung, came up with something which was really quite staggering at the time. Uh, and he wrote an article uh, which was a response to a biblical uh, situation. Some of you, or perhaps many of your listeners will know that in the Old Testament of the Bible, there is a story about someone called Job. And Job has all sorts of evils inflicted upon him, disease and so on, by God as if it's a test. And of course, theologians are puzzled about this. How can, no, all-powerful, all-seeing God who mm. loves human beings, why on earth would he want to put a human being through tests where awful things happen to him? And Jung wrote in his answer to Job that there is in fact in the world a dark side to God. What he meant by this was there's a dark side to the world and we are part of that. And it's human nature for us to actually be quite aggressive and violent. And we know that this comes through uh, emotionally. You know, you lose your temper, you want to throw something. <laughs> and in worst cases, of course, and but this is particularly relevant at the moment because of the lockdown through coronavirus, you can become abusive. And the number of uh, people, mainly, of course, women who are phoning up the abuse line because uh, domestic abuse is growing because they're they're contained trapped imprisoned if you like and people lose their tempers they're under stress they're stressful and and when you lose your temper you can do sort of awful things in the same way that if you're under some sort of drug whether it's alcohol or it, it may be a, a a worse drug than that cocaine or whatever you behave in a way that you leave that conscious side behind and you start mm. behaving badly now uh, Jung had a really interesting view of human human behavior in this. He said all of us carry a shadow in our unconscious. And the shadow is the bit that we don't like about ourselves, the bad bit of behavior. And that shadow haunts us. And part of our life experience is to manage it and understand it and control it. So there is this game, Nick, and your listeners might like to play this, where there's a, 
you know, in a social group, and you ask people, what is your shadow? And I remember playing this as a student, and I didn't know about Jung at that time, and I said, well, I don't, the people I really don't like are fanatics. Ah, right. said the leader, have a look now, have a look at yourself. Is there a bit about you that is fanatical? And when I looked, you know, it was true. It was true. I have a fanatical side to me, which I just need to watch out for and not get too worked up about, you know, and rebalance myself. So I thought that was really interesting. And, of course, it came into popular culture with Star Wars. Do you, do you watch Star Wars? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So the whole idea of the dark side. Exactly. Darth Vader and the dark side. Do you remember, uh, I think it's The Empire Strikes Back, which I thought was one of one of uh, Lucas's best, George Lucas's best films. In that, uh, Skywalker, Luke Skywalker, finds himself confronting Darth Vader, and they're fighting mm. you know, with the sabers and so on. And, and it's revealed, Darth Vader reveals, you're my son. Darth Vader is the father. That is absolutely fascinating that there's this dark side. Um, yeah. And of course, Lucas was picking up on Carl Jung. He was following that through. So I think what the... What, what we can say about, and it goes back to your, we may have drifted, you think, away from your question, but in a way what makes us is we do, all of us, have that dark side. In some people, mm. it's can be, it can become, uh, uh, really turn them into a psychopath. The psychopath isn't necessarily violent, but the psychopath loses empathy with other people and is incredibly mm. good at covering it up. So they behave as if they're perfectly normal. But inside them, they have desires, wishes, and uh, those are paranoid. So they, they can't imagine what it feels like to be on the end of their behavior. And we think of serial killers. Many of them are psychopaths. They, they appear to be perfectly normal human beings, but they have this dark side, which is completely taken over so that they actually become ill. Uh, and that uh, psychopathy... Uh, psychopathologist uh, element of them becomes a psychosociological in the sense that they they commit uh, terrible things to in society but don't feel it. It's and they can also experience intense psychological pleasure from it. Uh, mm. And you might say an evil person here is someone who intentionally inflicts serious physical harm on another person in pursuit of their own personal or even ideological or religious goals. Because religion, also we know in the past from the Inquisition and so on, the persecution of witches can be incredibly cruel. Yes. Now, if perhaps, although we don't like the explanations, we can explain um, perhaps why some of humans inflict evil upon humans. What then about if we believe in um, a god um, and... And we look at things like, as you say, tsunamis and COVID-19 and other things which bring misery and death to, to us and, and to some extent to our planet. How, how, how do you even start <laughs> on that one? Well, it's interesting. It, well, in religious societies, obviously, with, and particularly the, what we call the Abrahamic religions, which is Judaism, Christianity and Islam, there's one God all-powerful, then it's it's that relationship between God and human beings. In the ancient world, they thought uh, if things went wrong, they 
um, needed to appease the gods. And that's how sacrifice uh, developed. So you gave a gift to the god and the god gave a gift back, which hopefully was that <coughs> your environment was safe. And that's a sort of reciprocity. So you've got sacrifices and uh, in some cases, human sacrifices. If you think about the Aztecs and you think about the Phoenicians, they actually killed human beings for the gods. Uh, Greeks and Romans killed animals, but that was their way of appeasing it. Once the Abrahamic religions became dominant, uh, and there is a bit of sacrifice. You know, Isaac in the Old Testament uh, being sacrificed by Abraham. There's a bit of that there. But uh, those religions, Judaism, Christianity and Islam, are religions of the book. And the holy word is in the book. And that's what you have to obey. And if you slip out of that, then God has the right, in a sense, to punish you because you've uh, offended and you've sinned. So there was a lot tied up with actually having to behave properly according to the book. Although, of course, we know that those religious documents often are quite ambiguous and there needs to be all sorts of interpretation uh, and what we would call exegesis, examining of the text to try and unravel what God is actually saying. But uh, once we move into the scientific age, of course, we've got more scientific explanations for why things are happening. But even then, we like to put the blame on someone. Um, it could be government. <clears throat> Let's think about now, what's the shift in coronavirus? And I'm not making any political statement here. This is generalizations. Uh, <clears throat> if we believe the things aren't working well, we look for someone. Conspiracy theories. It's the Chinese mm -hmm. government who have released this virus, you know. And that's astonishing. There was a survey done. It's in the papers today. Uh, almost 45% of the British public who have been questioned believe that they were, it was manufactured by the Chinese government in Wuhan. Extraordinary. Um, when there's really no good evidence, although Trump keeps on hinting that he has evidence, you know, the president of the United States, who's in a sort of cold war with China now, says, oh, yes, something's going on there. Um, we certainly know the Chinese covered it up and it was very slow. And so government is often the evil thing. Um, it's the government. Mm. Government, mm. Yeah, we didn't react fast enough. Uh, in Belgium the other day, the health workers turned their backs on the prime minister of Belgium because they, Belgium's uh, has had a high death rate and so on. Uh, Another fa you know, favourite is big business, isn't it? Big business. Um, they're polluting the planet. They don't care. They're all about money. They're all about profit. Uh, we'll blame them. And, and then it goes even better. I mean, if you're a James Bond fan, you'll understand this perfectly. James Bond, Ian Fleming, in many of his books and now in his films, uh, the first one, remember, do you remember seeing Dr. No? Uh, yes, absolutely. 1958 it came out. I mean, it's the book. I mean, the film was 1962, I think. But uh, yes. We've got Dr. No, an evil megalomaniac who wants to rule yes. the world, yes. who inflicts upon us. You know, it could be nuclear explosion. It could be something. There's always so. So there are other people we can blame besides God if we're not particularly believers, or we 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 look at the science a bit more. So uh, yes, there the root there is outside uh, the, the supernatural. It becomes um, a more human thing. But then in terms of the, the personal evil, the evil that individuals inflict on each other, then we are back to that nature-nurture argument, trying to understand, is it that there's something in the brain of a psychopath, which is different, and actually there is some evidence of that. <laughs> um, uh, <clears throat> so there is a, a different difference in the brain, pa brain patterns that have been so far measured, or is it much more the environment, the culture, the parenting, the society they grew up in, the attitude, 
And certainly within, for example, if you look at the religious wars, the culture is incredibly important. And in Syria today, you know, <clears throat> Shiites are allowed to kill Sunnis and Sunnis kill Shiites because they're the wrong sect, they're the wrong group. And it, that's extraordinary that you see them, um, we talked about this earlier, almost dehumanizing them so that they can become your victims. And there's a, there's a lot in terms of the way cultures bring people up, which makes them actually uh, antipathetic to the others, the aliens, which we can inflict things. I, th I thought of that particularly, you know, uh, reasonable Germans during the Nazi period, how could they do this to other human beings and inflict on this? And of course it came, it emerged uh, in the trial of Adolf Eichmann. Do you remember Adolf Eichmann was yes. a concentration camp leader who escaped at the end of the war, but was tracked down by the Israeli secret service, kidnapped <clears throat> and brought back to Israel where he was tried. And there's a famous um, American Jewish philosopher, Hannah Arendt. Do you remember her? She died in 1975. Hannah Arendt looked at that trial. She stayed the trial and she came up with this phrase, the banality of evil, the banality of evil. And the reason she did on this was Adolf Eichmann's defense was, I was obeying orders. What could I do? Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. obeying orders. And of course, the leverage on people to obey orders is huge. If you don't obey orders, your family will be wiped out. Um, Stalin was great at this. You know, he had all those henchmen around sending people to the gulags, executing people, um, terrible execution of the Polish in the Katyn Forest at the beginning of the Second World War, which you know, Russia has only recently had to own up to because of the evidence is overwhelmed. Why do people do this? Uh, how, how can you get people to do this? Well, I think often those regimes, of course, call on the pretty brutal side of society, um, really quite unpleasant people who themselves have got psychological problems, but also it is this blackmail uh, that once the regime is going, you obey orders. And I know people have always wondered, supposing Britain had been invaded by Hitler, would we have behaved any better than, say, in France or the other mm -hmm. territories mm -hmm. where there were informers uh, in Norway, Quislings, people who sided with the Nazis and often had, of course, huge pressure put on them? If you think about you were fighting for, uh, in, say, the Balkans in Yugoslavia, if you were fighting for the resistance, every single German soldier that was killed by the resistance a hundred Serbs or Croats or uh, Bosnians were taken out and killed. So, you know, villages, whole villages decimated because the resistance yeah. killed a German. So there's that. Would we, you know, would, could we behave evilly, I suppose is what I'm saying, if the pressure was right? You know, if the gun was put at your family, family's head, your mother, your father, your relatives, would you then carry out a terrible order and kill someone else? A very tricky question. Yes, a question, a question to ponder. Well, Tim, just just in closing, um, is there anything we can be optimistic about about our understanding of evil and and the future, or or, or can we just expect really that that wars will continue, that that people will continue to do awful things to each other? Well, I think it's. There's a philosophical element here. If you see as people like Darwin um, and uh, people like Hobbes, philosophers, uh, Hobbes in the 17th century, or Darwin 
the right of uh, origin of species and the whole theory of evolution, they saw humanity's development and evolution as progress. And what the progress was, and I'm putting this very starkly, but what the progress was from being primitive animals, Homo sapiens back uh, 200,000 years ago, 160,000 years ago in Europe, as quite primitive and very violent, because that was survival mechanisms, just in the way that I mentioned about chimpanzees being violent, uh, they saw that as progress. So the conscious moral part of us taking control and gradually overriding the emotion and the primitive side of us. So I personally think the more we can study the elements of evil, whether they're psychopaths or evil regimes, the more we understand it, the better chance we have of dealing with it and moving away from it. But to answer your question sort of shortly, no, we're not going to get rid of it overnight. We're not going to suddenly uh, stop wars, stop violence against other people. This is a slow process. And I would say this, of course, because my background is in education. It is about educating people to understand it. Do you, do you remember we had this conversation um, some time ago when we were talking about anthropology? I think it was in the first podcast. I talked about road rage and how yes. emotions, people started waving fists and so on. What we need to do as human beings is control our emotions. And our emotions can be great things when they're loving and they're caring. Those emotions are the good side, if you like. But if we take the spectrum of good to bad to, to evil, there's also the dark side where, and I mentioned about uh, domestic abuse, violence, where we lose our tempers, we lose control, and we behave in a very primitive and violent way. So the future, I think, is we need not to just cast evil people aside and say, that's it, or evil acts and say, well, there's nothing we can do about it. We need to study it and understand it, analyze it, and try and manage it. Life is about managing ourselves, managing our feelings, managing our day-to-day uh, -day life, how we organize that. And what we need to do is educate people. Yes, you've got this dark side. Don't think that it's necessarily something that you just can't talk about or you have to banish. No, you have to open it up, understand it, and that will I help help lead, uh, lead to humanity away from these dastardly, awful acts to to something much more benign because we understand it, we can control it. We're we're not going to give into it. Some optimism for the future there. Tim, thank you so much. That's been absolutely fascinating, if a little harrowing in parts. Uh, professor Tim Boson is a professor of anthropology. Thanks so much for, for joining us on this podcast. Thanks very much indeed, Nick, for having me.